This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Christmas Story podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the fourth episode of the Deranged Christmas Story podcast series. In the first three episodes, we have told the biblical Christmas story in a very unusual and unique way. What we would like to do in this episode is to share some traditional and some not-so-traditional secular Christmas stories with you. We hope that these stories will help to make your holiday season a little more jolly and meaningful as we close out this very challenging and stressful year. A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore Clement Clark Moore wrote this poem for his family on Christmas Eve in 1822. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads." And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below when what to my wondering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen. On Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. To the top of the porch! To the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky, so up to the housetop the coursers they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, Down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled! His dimples, how merry! His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and he filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod, 
Up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus by Francis P. Church. This article was first published in the New York Sun on September 21, 1897. We take pleasure in answering the brief but critically important communication below, and we express at the same time our gratitude that its faithful author is numbered among the friends of the New York Sun. Dear Editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says if you see it in the sun, then it's so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except what they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible by their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist. And you know that they abound and give your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would the world be if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The eternal light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus? You might as well not believe in fairies. You might get your papa to hire men to watch in all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if you did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's no proof that they were not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders there are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart the baby's rattle and see what makes the noise inside. 
but there is a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man nor even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture the supernal beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia, in this world there is nothing else so real and abiding. No Santa Claus? Thank God he lives and lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. Big Hallie, a mountain legend about catching the Christmas spirit. This is an old mountain story that I first heard in Grundy County, Tennessee in 1980. Like most mountain lore, it's based upon true events, but embellished over time by the creativity of its storytellers. Big Hallie McBee. His name was actually Albert McBee, but everybody called him Big Hallie. He was a moonshiner the best in the whole state of Tennessee. Had a good product, it was tasty, safe, and potent, and he was very careful about how he distilled and sold it. Because of that, the authorities had pretty much left him alone for years. That is, until this one fellow was elected county judge in the November election, and he decided to make a name for himself by having the newly elected sheriff arrest and bring Big Hallie to justice by Christmas Day. So the judge issued a warrant for Hallie's arrest and said to the sheriff that he had to bring Big Hallie in for trial by Christmas Day. Well, the sheriff told the judge that he'd heard that for years people had tried, but nobody would ever been able to arrest Big Hallie and bring him into jail. The judge said that he didn't care to hear about what nobody would never been able to do. He was ordering the sheriff to get going and arrest Big Hallie and bring him in by Christmas no matter what he had to do to make it happen. The end of the Mac B. moonshining operation was going to be the judge's gift to the people of Grundy County. So, the sheriff deputized five men and they went out to bring Albert Mac B., a.k.a. Big Hallie, to justice. Now, they didn't have any trouble finding Big Hallie. His cabin was way back up in the mountains, but it wasn't hidden or difficult to locate. When they arrived, the sheriff stationed his deputies around the cabin just in case Hallie tried to escape. Then he yelled out on his bullhorn that Big Hallie was under arrest for moonshining and he had best just give himself up right now. Big Hallie yelled back, Come on in and get me, Sheriff. I'm ready to go. Well, the sheriff was more than a little surprised, but he was not so sure about Big Hallie's willingness to give up so easily. So he yelled back, You ain't got no guns or weapons in there, do you? Hallie replied, I ain't got nary a thing but an old pocket knife. So the sheriff motioned to his deputies to follow him, and they slowly and carefully came up to the door of the cabin. 
Just before opening it, he yelled out to Hallie, Mr. McBee, we're coming in. Don't try to fight us because I got five men here with me. Pig Hallie responded, It don't matter how many men you got. I ain't going to resist, but you ain't going to be able to take me in either. The sheriff yelled out, We'll see about that, and he pushed open the door. As his deputies streamed through it with guns drawn, they saw Big Hallie. He was just sitting across the room on the bench seat of an old pickup truck. He was just sitting there, smiling at him. You see, there was a good reason that Albert McBee was called Big Hallie. He was six foot six and he weighed 550 pounds. Well, the sheriff and his deputies were shocked at the sight of him. But undaunted, the sheriff said, You are under arrest for moonshining. Stand up and put your hands behind your back. Hallie slowly stood up and turned around with his hands behind him as much as he could manage it. It took three pair of handcuffs to fit around his back, but they finally got him cuffed. The deputies turned Hallie back around and the sheriff told him, Take him outside. That was where the trouble started. Hallie looked at the sheriff and smiled again. It ain't gonna work, I'll tell you. The deputies pushed him forward, and when they reached the door, they realized why he said, it ain't gonna work. Hallie was a whole head taller and half again as wide as the door to the cabin. They tried turning him sideways, but that didn't work either. Try as they might, they couldn't get Hallie out that door. They looked around for another way out, but there was only that one door in the whole cabin and the cabin was made from full tree trunks, so even a chainsaw wouldn't have been able to cut the opening any wider. But they didn't have a chainsaw anyway. So after confabulating with his deputies for a time, finally the sheriff told him to uncuff Hallie. Well, Big Hallie smiled again and thanked them all very kindly for coming to visit with him. Then he offered them a Christmas toddy to show there were no hard feelings. After about a minute or so of stunned silence, they all agreed that was a right good idea. So everybody had a good time drinking quality moonshine and swapping stories. When it was finally time to go, they wished each other a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Then they all went back to town. Now when the sheriff arrived at the courthouse empty-handed, the judge was livid. He bellowed out, Why weren't you able to catch this criminal? You are a disgrace to your badge. The sheriff replied, Judge, it's not that I couldn't catch Big Hallie. Catching him was the easy part. Then why in the devil didn't you arrest him and bring him in, asked the judge. Well, said the sheriff, Big Hallie's kind of like the Christmas spirit. He's catchable. He just ain't fetchable. At that, the judge just snorted and told the sheriff to get out of his courthouse. Now, Mountain Lore says that for all the years that the sheriff was in office, which were many, he and his deputies would go up to Big Hallie's cabin at Christmas time on the pretense of arresting him. They'd stop in, spend the afternoon having Christmas toddies, and share the Christmas spirit with him and each other. Then they'd go back to town and tell about how they had just missed being able to bring him in again. You know, I think the sheriff was absolutely right. The Christmas spirit is a lot like Big Hallie. We can hear it in the beautiful holiday music. We can see it in the decorations and meaningful Christmas cards. 
It may even come alive for us in the retelling of the Christmas story. We can catch that feeling of joy, peace, and love that Christmas brings, and we can enjoy and share it for the whole Christmas season. But for some reason, we don't seem to be able to carry it with us for very long after Christmas Day. Like Big Hallie, the Christmas spirit is catchable, but it ain't fetchable. A reading from the Gospel According to Prosperity. This piece was written in the early 1990s. Its authorship is unknown. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from the Consumer Price Index that all of America should go shopping. This was not the first decree of its kind, but this one was made when the economic indicators had dipped to their lowest point in the fiscal year. And so all went out, each to his own mall or Amazon. And there was a man also who went up from his suburban home to the city with its many malls because he wanted to show that he was of the household prosperity. And with him went up his wife, who was great with credit cards. And so it was that while they were there, the time came for them to buy many presents. And the man and the woman wrote checks for as many as they could, but what they couldn't afford, they charged on their many different credit cards. And when they returned, they wrapped the presents in brightly colored paper, laid them in the garage, for there was no room for them in the closet. And in the same country, there were children keeping watch over their wish list by night. And lo, a jolly man in a red suit came upon them, and they were sore afraid fearing that he might be a burglar disguised as Santa Claus. But the jolly man spoke to them, saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people who can afford this holiday. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey dressing and candy. And if you have been good boys and girls, there will also be toys and many wonderful presents. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the presents wrapped in paper lying beneath an aluminum tree adorned with tinsel and colored balls. And suddenly there was with the jolly old man a multitude of relatives praising one another and saying, Aren't you sweet? This gift is just what I wanted. And it came to pass as the friends and relatives were gone away into their own homes that the man and the woman said to one another, Boy, am I glad that's over. And they settled down to pay off the bills 
and wait for Christmas to come again next year. Christmas Gift I'm not sure about the origin of this story. I heard it several years ago, and it's a lovely reminder of what the most important gifts really are. There once was a man named Paul. He was a hard worker who was determined to successfully climb the corporate ladder. He lived in the suburbs, was married to a lovely young woman, and they had a beautiful and loving three-year-old daughter. As his career had advanced, Paul found himself experiencing a great deal of stress. Climbing the corporate ladder is not an easy task. And while he kept everything under control when he was at the office, Paul didn't deal with the stress very well when he came home from work. He was often short-tempered and in a bad mood. It was just a few days before Christmas when Paul came home from an unusually stressful day at work to find that his daughter had gotten into the Christmas wrapping paper and ribbon and had made a terrible mess crudely wrapping a small gift box. Paul took one look at the mess and lost his temper. He yelled, ranted, and raved, and was very harsh with his daughter. Then he punished her severely. On Christmas Day, when it was time for the gifts to be exchanged, the little girl ran behind the Christmas tree and got the small crude present she had wrapped and handed it to Paul. He was more than a little embarrassed that he had been so harsh with her for making a present for him. He looked at her, managed to smile, and slowly opened the box. When he looked inside, he found that it was empty. His temper flared a little, and he looked up and asked his daughter in an annoyed tone of voice, Why did you give me an empty box? When you wrap a present, you're supposed to put a gift inside. The child just smiled looked up at him and said, Oh no, Daddy, that present isn't empty. It's full of love and kisses for you. I blew all my kisses into the box and put a whole bunch of love in there too. It's for you, Daddy, because you get mad and sad a lot. And whenever I get mad and sad, I need lots of love and kisses. His daughter has long since grown up, married, and has children of her own. But Paul still carries that small gift box with him always. It's his reminder that nothing needs to ever be as important to him again as the wisdom, love, and peace he experienced from his daughter on that Christmas morning. We want to thank you for sharing these Christmas stories with us. It has been such a joy to bring them to you. We hope that they have made your celebration of the season brighter and filled you with hope and a renewed sense of the possibility and opportunity for the new year. There are many more of the Maverick Minister podcasts yet to come, so please watch for the next series starting soon. We, we want, want to, to wish, wish you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy, Happy new, new Year. year.